You're listening to Houston. We have a podcast where we talk everything and anything, movies and their reviews, and this is episode 15. Before we get started today, just a quick update. This will actually be the last episode underneath the Houston We Have a Podcast moniker, name, whatever you want to call it. Going forward, I decided we're going to be changing the name to the podcast, the Showtime Movie Podcast, or just it's Showtime, something along the lines of, you know, a play on my name, because I discovered that recently there have been two other podcasts with the exact same name, Houston We Have a Podcast, to crop up. Now, of course, one is from NASA, so I mean, how much can I really blame them, right? It's NASA. Houston, we have a problem is their phrase, so not too much I can do about that. But the other one, Houston, we have a podcast, is a movie review show, so I kind of feel like I want my show to be, I guess, a little more unique, a little different, even though I think mine is perhaps a little bit better than theirs. I do still want to do it, so I guess I will be changing it to the Showtime Movie Podcast, so keep an ear out for that going forward, so as much as I'm sure you guys love listening to Houston, we have a podcast, this will be the last episode under that name, but the movie review show will continue in case you are worried and that will ruin your day. I'm sure you'll be okay regardless. But the content of the podcast won't be changing. We will still be reviewing movies every week. The latest movies that'll be in theaters, you know, maybe some occasionally older content like we got with the interview with Cody Piper last week with Shin Godzilla. I mean, that's not that old. It's only a few years old, the uh, movie Shin Godzilla. But that's the kind of content I want to keep continuing with the podcast. You know, get some good feedback. If you guys ever have any feedback, please interact with me on Twitter. I love getting it. But uh, this week for our two reviews, we will be going with two Oscar-bound films. Just like last week, actually. And I actually foresee for the foreseeable future, that's what's going to be in the podcast, you know, movies that will be present to the Oscars in some fashion, you know. Uh, but, you know, much like last week was The Disaster Artist and The Shape of Water, this week is The Post and I, Tanya. So we'll get right into the discussion of both. So without further ado, The Post. Okay, no. Credence Clearwater Revival's Fortunate Son is not in the post. In fact, the whole movie is scored by my favorite movie composer of all time, John Williams. His score, by the way, is probably one of the best things about the movie. It perfectly conveys, I think, the sense of tension at the appropriate times, as well as the sense of triumph where the, you know, quote-unquote good guys get their way. But while the moodiness of the score is great, I thought, I, d- I just thought... A bit more a beat song was needed. I just sometimes find when you're doing the podcast episodes, you know, when you use classical music, and I think we did this for another podcast episode uh, early on when I was first starting out on episodes, you know, one, two, or three or something like that. And not that it sounded bad, it just sounds kind of weird to have one song in the episode be kind of classical and somber and the other one to be kind of upbeat. So as opposed to having two kind of completely opposite songs, I decided to keep the pop songs in there. I do like using them, so why not, right? But uh, The Post. Steven Spielberg directed it, and to be clear, in case you did not know, 
it is about the Vietnam War and how the American government covered up the study that proved it was a failed effort. Essentially, the government continued to send soldiers over there, knowingly they were going likely to their deaths, and they failed to tell the American people. The New York Times filed the stories, not a story, several stories on this, and they were served an injunction to stop publishing their stories. And while they were tied up, the Washington Post, then viewed as a local paper, went and got copies of the 4,000-page study and published stories all about it. They then obviously became tied up in court as well. And as we all know today, they won that case in the Supreme Court because the press can't be told what to and not to publish by the government. And maybe as a member of the press slash broadcasting world myself, you know, I work in the world of journalism at a radio station. I'm more sympathetic maybe to this than most people, especially in the world of fake news that we live in today. But regardless, it was a pretty darn good movie. And it's kind of interesting to me, I guess, because I've read over the years some awesome, some really cool pieces in the Washington Post. Admittedly, a lot about sports. You know, there's some really good authors and and columnists over there. And I guess I find it interesting that at any point in time, the Washington Post was, was considered to be a local paper. They really kind of, I guess drive that point home for you. They really go out of their way to say, oh, wow, yeah, the Washington Post can't compute the New York Times. And I'm sure that the New York Times is still the gold standard for journalism in America, either by size of publication or readership or however you want to, however you want to do that. But I guess it's just interesting to me that there was a time where this was how it was, right? And because it's hard to imagine that now. But I mean, I guess even 10, 15 years ago, it would have been hard for people to imagine that newspapers don't get read as much, whereas people like to read news on Twitter and on their phones and apps. And it's not about page clicks anymore. It's about time on page and all this stuff, right? So I guess the journalism industry moves along pretty fast, but still, I find it very interesting. Uh, but we'll talk about the movie itself. We'll get off the soapbox for journalism. Now, the movie stars Meryl Streep, Tom Hanks, co-stars Bob Odenkirk, David Cross, Bradley Whitford is directed in it as well by Steven Spielberg. You know, it's a, it's as star-studded as a drama like that can really get, you know? In preparing my notes for the show today, I realize that as much as I have gotten used to spelling Jonas Valanciunas of the Raptors or Andre Vasilevsky for the Tampa Bay Lightning, I, I actually have no idea how to spell Meryl Streep. I, I realize that. Not Streep, actually. I never actually realized, realized how you spell the, how the name, rather, Meryl. I guess, I think I've just played too much Dragon Age 2, apparently. But anyways, back to the post. It's a great look into this historical fight that took place. And of course, it's very timely, right? It's about the first female publisher fighting against an all-male board of directors, none of whom thinks she can do the job. It's about a small paper fighting against the influence of a government. It's about a small paper fighting against the readership of a larger paper. It's about the government trying to censor news it does not like. It's about a government trying to governed by a president whom everyone views as a bully and who has surrounded himself with, you know, quote-unquote bad people. It's, it's a lot of things, right? So there, there are a lot of themes in this movie that a lot of people will be able to relate to, resonate with, which is always interesting to see, obviously, in the, in the current climate, right? Now, uh, I don't know. The, the main question I have to ask with this movie is, is it good? I mean, is it something I would recommend to a friend of mine? Is it like an actually good film? And I think it is. I mean, and I, I sound uncertain. It is. I shouldn't, I shouldn't w- be wishy-washy in a statement like that, especially with these, these kind of people involved, right? It is. And like I said, movies that have this level of talent are rarely bad, right? It never really drags. But I do kind of think 
the average person might get a little bored. Not that I'm a, some above average, oh, you have to have a high level of IQ to understand this kind of movie. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. It's just, it's, it's a little boring sometimes, honestly. And, and this is a thing, too. Streep and Hanks are, as usual, amazing. And one of them probably Meryl Streep, but maybe both of them, will garner some Oscar nominations. And I'm sure Steven Spielberg will probably get nominated for something. I mean, he, he usually does. He's Steven Spielberg, right? But none of them are going to win. It's not their best work. It is, it's not, right? It's a perfectly serviceable retelling of a very important event in the history of journalism, right? I, sometimes I almost felt when I was watching this movie, there was, an other, and there was another interesting story in there about the New York Times. You know, if another movie ca- called The Times came out about this exact story, I'd probably find it just as fascinating. But of course, the main, I guess, aspect of this movie that makes it potentially more interesting, which is probably why they did this, than something called The Times would be the, the, the presence of the female publisher character played by Meryl Streep. She's not a character, a real person, but portrayed by Meryl Streep in this movie. And I guess The Post is not a bad movie, like I said. Not I guess. It's not a bad movie, certainly. But it's just so by the book. You know, you knew kind of exactly what's going to happen. You knew that the New York Times was this juggernaut of a, of a newspaper. You knew that the Washington Post was not. They struggled to get stories. I mean, one of the things that happens very early on in the movie is that we see the Times kind of, you know, getting the reports and they, you know, they they are writing all these stories on the report and they get served an injunction and and there's a, a particularly illustrative scene of, of this whole, this the scene of journalism in, in Washington and in America because while the New York Times is hustling to get this scoop on an unflattering report obtained by the press, the Washington Post is reporting on Richard Nixon's daughter's wedding. So that's where they were at that point in time and you know, not that it was boring, like I've said a number of times. It's simply that, much like Lincoln, which was also directed by Steven Spielberg, right, a number of years ago, Daniel Day-Lewis won the Oscar for that, right? And not that Lincoln was boring either, but Lincoln and The Post, I feel like, suffer from the same problem, which is that they essentially, essentially these movies are the definition, I find, of Oscar bait. And I think... Most people, like myself, I mean, I went to go see this movie because it's about journalism and I was interested by it, but I mainly went to go see this movie, like, if, if I was being considered as a your typical moviegoer, right, I only really went to see this movie because Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks were in a movie directed by Steven Spielberg, right? I mean, how many times in history are we going to say that three, like, three of the greatest filmmakers in the history of cinema were in the same movie together, right? A director and two actors. So... That is, for me, as a movie lover, why I went to go see this movie. Not necessarily because I was like, oh, man, I got to learn about the Washington Post. I got to learn about the New York Times. I got to learn about the Vietnam War. I mean, in 2017, I would hope that we all know at least a cursory passing knowledge of those events, right? But I don't know. It wasn't exactly educational. I mean, of course, movies take, you know, some uh, liberties with things, but... I, at the same time, it just wasn't all that interesting to me. It, 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 it's not because it was bad. It's just because it is just something that didn't really grab my interest. Maybe for others it did. And I, I've seen some reviews that really say, say say things like it really sizzled and, you know, really, it really like moved along. And like it did. It's just kind of unremarkable. It's kind of so what, right? So what? Steven Spielberg can make this movie in his sleep. He probably did because he wanted to be nominated for some Oscars or maybe because he felt the script particularly spoke to him. I don't know. It was really cool to see Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks act off one another because they are legends, like I said, but not a lot of uh, 
crazy things about that, I, I, I don't think. I mean, other than the sheer novelty of it, I suppose. But I've ragged on this movie a little too much, perhaps. I mean, it's not a bad movie, certainly. It's actually did a lot of really cool things, right? And one, one of the cooler things they did in this film is that they used real footage of Richard Nixon, right? Uh, not in terms of video, but they used real audio of Richard Nixon. They used real audio from the actual decision that the courts made when they when they ruled for... Uh, ruled in favor, I should say, of the Times and the Post. Um, you know, they use a lot of historical telecasts on, on TV and some real newspapers, you know, they, and, they, and they sync them, those audios, with the footage that Spielberg filmed, right? So, for example, we got some Nixon sound talking about the Washington Post, and they filmed an actor who, I guess, kind of, they made, a, made to look like Richard Nixon from the back, kind of gesticulating and essentially miming out the scene as the sound plays, though it's live. And it was kind of cool. It was filmed through... Um, a window in the White House. So it's kind of like the you're kind of getting this voyeuristic view into the White House as Richard Nixon sits at the his desk in the Oval Office. You kind of you're kind of looking over his shoulder from behind him from a little distance away. So you're kind of like maybe you're standing a few meters away from the window and you're looking over his shoulder to see what he's doing and he's talking on the phone and you can hear the audio and the guy's kind of like miming out the actions as what Richard Nixon is saying. And, and it's pretty cool, honestly. It's done pretty well and it's quite effective, I thought. Uh, and one other thing I thought I, that I really liked, actually, this might actually be my favorite part of the whole movie, is actually getting to see the paper go to print. Steven Spielberg actually filmed the whole process from the editors typing up the metal sheet letters that actually go into the plates that the press uses, and then, you know, seeing the rolls of paper have ink printed onto them, seeing the papers be kind of shepherded through the facility, people grabbing them off the line. is all very industrial and it was really awesome to see. You know, that, that might honestly be my favorite part of the movie. It, it, it was oddly satisfying to watch, you know? You, you, you kind of want to hear that music, like the... You know, from like Dexter's Lab or something like that. And it, it just looked really cool to see them do it. I've never actually seen that in person. So for someone who works in that industry, it was, it was, it was really neat to see. Honestly, I would love to see that in person one day. Uh, but if I had if I had to pick one major complaint and i know i've complained about the movie a little bit maybe too much but if i had to pick one complaint because the other the other things aren't really i should say complaints I, what am i am i really complaining complaining that this movie is too good it has too many actors in it or or it's just like you know you know you know what i mean so in that sense those are not real plot holes it's just the movie didn't really grab me the way i had hoped perhaps but if i had one active complaint about this movie it's the ending so the movie essentially has an ending where Streep and Hanks meet on the floor of the printing press area and they walk off together talking about the news and uh, Meryl Streep's character says uh, she doesn't think she'd be able to go through any other government scandal again, right? So obviously, considering the time period and considering it's the Vietnam War time and it's Richard Nixon, obviously they're talking about Watergate, right? The, the Arguably the most fa- famous scandal to ever hit American politics in the history of the office of the president of the United States, right? And I just thought that would be kind of a fun, like, wink sort of ending and would have ended on a more hopeful note because they kind of walk off together, like almost literally walk off into the sunset. But then it goes and actually shows a security guard looking at the broken door leading to the Democratic National Committee's offices, and then he reports the call, and you see the flashlights in the building, and it just seemed a little too on the nose, you know, if that makes sense. It, it also made the movie kind of end on a down sort of note, an ominous note, instead of that hopeful looking ahead to the future note, right? And maybe the intention was, again, in today's climate, to look ahead in that fashion to what we know ends up getting 
Nixon impeached, right, and comparing it to maybe Trump and the potential for that happening there. I mean, maybe I'm reading too much into that, perhaps, but even even if that is the case, right, I'm not saying it is, but even if it was, it just seems a bit too on the nose for me. Maybe that's a minor complaint, right, but it just kind of annoys me that they think the viewers who are already watching a relatively dense feature on journalism and censorship don't have the, what, mental ability to remember probably the most famous scandal in the history of the presidency. Yeah, I don't know. It's in there. So I I personally didn't like it, and I, it's not like I'm making this up. It, this is how the movie ended, right? So I feel like I have to give it a strike on my end for that, but I mean, what? Generally, it's a good movie, you know, and how how, how could it not be? right? The source stands out as a John Williams production usually does. The acting is top-notch with Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks. Odenkirk and Whitford are great in their roles, and especially Bob Odenkirk, honestly, as Ben Bagdickian as a type of reporter who would almost, you know, wear out the soles of his shoes tracking down a scoop. So it's not like just the big names garnering praise here, right? And I mean, at the end of the day, if you like thoughtful dramas, if you like dense movies, If you like Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg, if you like reading the newspaper, you should go see this movie. That is my that is my 30-second review of The Post. If you like all of those things, then yeah, you're going to love this movie, of course, because it's made for you. It's not made for the type of casual moviegoer, I think. And I think, not that I am, you know, I feel like I, I'm a pretty liberal movie, movie watcher. I'll watch all sorts of movies from Geostorm to The Post, right? But... This one just, I guess, I watched it, and afterwards, I kind of promptly forgot about it until I had to start writing my notes for today's episode. That's kind of how it, how I felt about it. It wasn't particularly striking, but it, you just know it's going to get nominated at the Oscars for a number of things. And I know I've been mentioning the Oscars and a lot of things lately because, I mean, the Oscars are right around the corner, right? March, first weekend in March, I believe, this year, and... That's just how I feel about it. But like I said, if you like those kind of things, the post is made for you. And if nothing else, the spectacle of seeing Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep together on screen is a treat. Honestly, that's probably the best part of the movie, apart from the uh, printing press, of course. So if you like that kind of stuff, go see the post. That is, of course, the tunes of Supertramp, whose music is in Itania. We have a guest joining us today for some Itania discussion, and without further ado, I'll get right into it. I'm happy to be joined now by my friend and co-worker, J.D. Bunkus, co-host of Good Show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan, as well as the Free Association podcast for Sportsnet. J.D., you're not that much older than I am. No, I'll just let, let's just say we're the same age. Okay, so we're the same age. But we're, you're also a pretty knowledgeable sports fan, so... I hope so. I have a radio show for sports. <laughs> <laughs> the, the triple axle happened in 1991. The Olympics happened later on in 1994, right? So at that point, you know, considering how long ago this happened, what what did you know of before seeing Itania? What did you know of Harding and her career? So little that I was always under the impression that she was the one who contracted the hit and that the jokes always were right because if you had friends like oh yeah you tanya harding someone right it was to hit someone or try to injure somebody before a competition right so i actually wasn't even aware going into this i've never been a big figure skating fan or 
I really looked at it and like really cared. Like I'll watch it when the Olympics are on, but sure. I'm pretty much forgetting like who's in the events like the second that this is done. I'll remember some big names, but ultimately I had really no idea about the story as a whole. So everything that I learned was after the film finished. I went into a wormhole where I was like, this is what happened? This is strange. I need to read up on this. I need to learn a little bit more. I, f- I found it so interesting. When I left the theater, actually, I found that a lot of other people in the theater, I went to see a pretty late screening of the movie, probably like a 10.30 p.m. screening on a Sunday night or something like that. But when I was leaving the theater, a lot of people were saying to each other, oh, I was always on Nancy Kerrigan's side, and now I'm not so sure. Like, Did that? Did this movie change anything for you? So that's the only part about it where reading up on it a little bit more is it makes it feel a little bit more confusing that she is this protagonist that she's this sympathetic figure and so I get some of it and it's fair to say her side of things and I guess ultimately the movie is about Tanya Harding and it's really tough to do like she's still more of an anti-hero right right like, but still there's that hero element there so but you felt the same way right like you didn't know much about the story yeah I didn't I didn't really know all that much right. I mean I like 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 you I I almost thought when I was when I was a little younger, that she herself was the one who did it, right? right. And there was that I scene in the that movie. At some point too. Yeah, and and there's a scene in the movie where you see Margot Robbie. You know, she kind of she breaks the fourth wall a lot, right? right? And yeah, she yeah. and she she makes the joke almost. I guess not really a joke, but yeah. she makes the comment that she, a lot of people think that she was the one who took a baseball bat to Nancy Kerrigan's knee, right? Yeah. So here was my issue with like the way that it was presented was that if I was Nancy Kerrigan, I'd probably be a little pissed off at the presentation of this story, and. Because, yeah, it almost does feel like this person who's never really made amends and never really apologized to me publicly is getting a movie where they're the star, even though I was the better skater and the the victim of this attack. And they're kind of profiting off of this. And their image is now like, man, when you close your eyes and you think of like if you're our age and you didn't really remember Tanya Harding in her prime, right? You just remember her more from like, I remember her more from the Foxy Boxing thing. Like right. that was the first thing I was like, <laughs> like yeah, I, was, I was like, oh yeah, Tanya Harding, she's a celebrity boxing. Like I kind of remember that because there was like celebrity deathmatch and that kind of stuff was like popular. But I'm going to think of beautiful Margot Robbie <laughs> and her getting totally screwed over and maybe oh, getting man. caught up in something that she wasn't supposed to. But if you look at the facts, it's like, this, like, even trying to present somebody with a death threat is a pretty seriously awful move. Yeah. Like, if someone told me, like, hey, this person tried to death threat someone, I'd be like, what the hell is wrong with them? Like, that's not appropriate. And then just putting it all together, it's like the the note where it was, like, her trying to get the practice facility and having it be in a dumpster and them finding that, that's pretty damning evidence to me, like, that she was trying to find someone to go there during the practice schedule. That if you called in... uh just your run-of-the-mill death threat that the police would have informed her like they did in the movie where it's right. like someone comes up and they're like, hey, we received this threat and that's how we get in your head. So I don't really believe Tanya Harding was not at least privy to some of the larger ideas. And maybe they kicked around like, hey, what what if this, what if that? But she was probably in on more than the movie made it seem. But like you've heard, who was it? Uh, was it Allison Janney or was it Margot Robbie? I don't know if you saw the quote about how this is a movie about disenfranchisement. Right, okay. And they really mix in, like, how much she was abused and how tough her life was. And, I, like, you do feel really sympathetic for that character, like, that part of it, where it's like your mom is pushing you in sports to a psychotic degree. You yeah. have that helicopter parent. 
it's probably more relatable now than in a while because of LeVar Ball. Like, I couldn't help but That's think true. of that with him just being, like, pushing his kids. And apparently he's a much better dad, and his kids love him. They don't have that, like, animosity in that relationship. But it did get me thinking about, like, helicopter parents and parents who push their kids too far. And you probably, like, everyone's grown up with at least one kid who had that dad or that mom that was, like, way over the top when it came to sports. And you knew that it's, like, very unlikely that they're making the pros. And then just, like, the abuse stuff. That was where it was, like... They just really pound that home in that movie, right? Like, they're like, this woman was getting abused psychologically and physically, like, at every single turn of her life. And so you do become a little bit more sympathetic regardless of that because it's hard to watch a woman get beat up on camera yeah. and then not sympathize with her and her actions falling out of that, right? You got you to gotta think that that framing device, right, that idea mm-hmm. of framing this whole story by starting by saying, you know, she was impoverished when she was younger. Mm-hmm. She self-identifies as a redneck. You know, mm-hmm. they they, sh- they show you her going hunting and, you know, they hunt for rabbits and they make her fur coat out oh, of rabbits yeah. and stuff. And I think Nancy, or Tony, Tanya Harding rather, has even herself debunked the fact that she made a, a, a fur coat out of rabbits. So she mm-hmm. did have a cheaper fur coat for when they went to the you know, as a child to these skating competitions, but she heard, like, that was not a true fact. They kind of, like, embellished that for the movie a little bit. It was effective. But it was very effective, exactly, yeah. So, and they used the idea of domestic violence and and poverty, and obviously no one wants to have those things happen to them, but they make you, the viewer, more sympathetic to watching this story, right? Yeah, so that's that's what I mean. So I really enjoyed the film. I think it did give you a bit of a different perspective that, like, hey, like, I think it's, it's a little bit of the whole like nurture versus nature debate as well. Like you look at this movie and it's like, hey, look at this person. Like look at all of the things that she was put into and she was still able to have a successful skating career and that ultimately like there is more to the story than she was just an evil person that hatched an evil plan to ruin someone's life and how that could affect it. But I did think that it came on a little heavy. Like I thought... The film, like when she had the line of "You were all my attackers," like I was a victim and you were all my like attackers. speaking to the viewers. Yeah, yeah, like I, I felt that was a little heavy handed. Yeah. I was like, okay, like <laughs> listen, this is not a story here that's completely uh, unfounded in terms of your participation in this. There are definitely holes in this, and there's debate as to whether or not you were beaten and what, like, you, how tough your life was. Like, it's okay to hear this side of the story, but I did find it like a little over the top, like making people feel bad because they would be upset that someone assaulted someone right. when their whole plan in the first place was to uh, like sign a death threat to someone. So, like, I-, I think that you have to, if you were someone that wasn't critically thinking at all during this movie and you didn't know about it like you and I didn't, I think that, yeah, you would watch this movie and be like, wow, like, this girl got completely screwed over. Getting banned from skating, like, after they used her to pump ratings right, right. in and just... Yeah, and they continued to be, uh, like, no one was on her side in the whole competition committees and just how basically all these judges didn't want her in because she wasn't the face of skating or the face they wanted for skating. So I believe in a lot of that stuff, like, that she had the odds stacked up against her and that she probably would have been a more sympathetic story if there wasn't, you know, the assault. (laughs) But then, like, I just feel like the assault was... More the story of the assault was, like, look at this nincompoop boob that goes and screws everything up and her abusive husband, yeah. and how she was just more on the sidelines of this after trying to come, overcome problem after poverty, after abuser, after parent. Like, it was just, oh, and now this on top of her plate? And I was like, it did feel a little, 
Yeah, I, I think that if, yeah, if you're not someone who remembers the story or was around watching those Olympics, that she was like a little overly sympathetic and it was a little too heavy-handed. I remember one of the things that I it really struck me at the end of the movie, and it, it oddly has nothing to do with Tanya Harding or the movie itself, was, so you and I both went to uh, Centennial College and mm-hmm. we both had a, probably uh, some similar instructors and one such, mm-hmm. in, one such instructor, Malcolm Kelly, is the coordinator for the program and Malcolm always used to say and maybe he'd said this to you too he used to say one of the first things he ever said to me when I was at school was he said there is no truth and he always like went out of his way to hammer that point home and I remember that that that, files I didn't get right (laughs) he he, there was a whole there's a whole class on what what is truth in journalism and what does it mean and you have your truth and I have mine and it's not the same for everyone and at the end of the movie, right, the very last thing in the movie was the, was the uh, scene you mentioned earlier with the, the boxing, right, the celebrity boxing match, and we mm-hmm. see her kind of, that's what she's kind of been reduced to, and then she says, oh, well, this is my truth, and she kind of mm-hmm. acknowledges that maybe the story isn't, is, is what she thinks is the truth, but n- may not necessarily be, it's almost like an uh, implicit admission that it's not necessarily yeah, but a true story. But that's so much harder to pick up. Yeah. Right? And so... I guess this is just one of those spots where it was like a very entertaining movie. It was supported with some really impressive performances. Like I thought Janie and Roby were excellent in that. They're great. Like I was totally sucked into their characters. I laughed at, I don't know the actor's name that uh, that plays, uh, God, what was the guy's name? Um, oh, the bodyguard. Yeah, the bodyguard. What was the bodyguard? Oh, I'm not sure. Sean? Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I think that was his name. Anyway, he was great. He was funny. Like I was, <laughs> I, I just thought it was good. The scenes with him and uh, Gaguli or Jaluli or whatever yeah, you say yeah. the, the husband. Jaluli. Yeah. yeah, I thought he was great. Like it was a really good movie. It was entertaining. I was sucked in. I, I didn't find myself bored, but it definitely had a lot of moments where I was kind of like a, a bouncer taking the people count, like the head count as they're heading into the bar. Right. I'm just like time stamping things. Like I'm like hitting that little, like uh, that, what do you even call those things? The clicker thing? The fl- know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the clicker, the little clicker. <laughs> where I was like, all right, note that. Like let's check in on the accuracy <laughs> of that later. And also this, and also yeah, that. Yeah. And when we're researching this for on a later date, or actually what ended up being like r- shortly after the movie, uh, let's let's check in on some of the accuracies of this. So yeah, it might be her truth. And I guess that's fair, and it's it's fun to hear that. Like, listen, if we're going to have movies where, like, you know what? This movie reminded me a lot of Goodfellas. Yeah, okay. Like, it was, like, very much like Goodfellas, right? Like, f- painful abuse, like, crazy bad scene where, like, bad stuff is happening. Yeah, yeah. And then it was, like, cut cut away, and here she is breaking the wall and, and making a joke. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, that was, like, it was very, it felt very Goodfellas-ish. And so it's, like, if we're going to have movies where they're based on true stories about mobsters and we're going to say, like that these guys are anti-heroes when a lot of just murderers <laughs> that I think it's okay to take some liberties with like the Tanya Harding skating, story, yeah, right? Yeah. So a figure skater. I just did think that like, again, the only one that bothered me was like, you were my attackers. And cause I felt bad for a second. I was like, damn, <laughs> damn, these people did you wrong, Tanya yeah, Harding. Yeah. And then afterwards I was like, wait, nah, no, no, no. Your mom did you wrong. Like there's the sport she picked for you. Like that's uh, that was a tough one for you out of the gate. I think one of the things about this movie that I really liked, uh, you know, apart from the historical accuracies, whether it was or was not, was the music. They, mm-hmm. they had a lot of good, yeah. great music in this. Like, they had Goodbye Stranger. They had, mm-hmm. you know, some some Clarence Clearwater Revival, I believe. Like, there was, there was, it was kind of all over the map, and it wasn't, it wasn't like, necessarily 90s music. It was from all eras, right? And yeah. I thought they did, a, like, the scene with Goodbye Stranger that, that I'm thinking of, actually, is what, when... Uh, she divorces the husband when she leaves him mm-hmm. for the first time and she kind of gets out of there. You see the song playing as you see him kind of 
walk aimlessly throughout their empty house, and you almost feel bad. Almost for this guy as well, even though he's, a, he's an abuser. <laughs> you know? I never had the moment of sympathy <laughs> for him. And, like, I've never thought, like, you know, people, like, talk about how you can't blame the victim and that people get sucked into these horrible relationships. Right, right. And you have those moments where you're like, come on, really, you're going to go back to him? And when he's got the ice cream bars in the freezer, oh, and she's that's like, right, yeah. oh, my God, that's so sweet. I'm like, what? <laughs> come on, <laughs> ice cream bars? Like, that wouldn't remind you of, like, him hitting you over such a trivial thing? Yeah, like, yeah. It's like you wanted some ice cream and he beat the shit out of you because you wanted ice cream. Like, just remember that for a, a quick second. So, yeah, there were those uh, those moments. I, I thought the soundtrack was great. I would say that, like, one of the, other than the performances, what was really cool was how they really did make it look like she was the one skating. Yeah. And I was like, I never once was like, wow, that's an obvious cutaway. Or like, she just lo- it looked like her. And I was like, damn, we're getting here with sports movies where people, the actor, can really look like they're playing. Like, if you, if you look back on some older movies for athletes, like I was listening to a podcast once and they were talking about He Got Game. No, okay. sorry, not He Got Game. It was, uh, it was White Man Can't Jump. Okay, sure. And if you go back and watch White Man Can't Jump, like watching Wesley Snipes try to play basketball, like Woody Harrelson had some game and you can kind of tell from watching right, him. Right, right. But watching Wesley Snipes play basketball, you're like, oh man, like how is it believable at all <laughs> that this guy like could actually hoop? And for her to be that, for it to look that realistic that it was actually her skating and that she was executing all of these moves, I was like, that was pretty impressive to me. I really enjoyed that. I just like, where do you think it stacks up when it comes to, like, Best Picture nominations? Do you think it's going to be there? Probably, I, I probably don't see it getting like, a nomination. Not top yeah, because no. uh, I, But I, I can see it getting one of those maybe screenplay nominations. Or mm. I, I would almost guarantee at this point that Margot Robbie and Alison Janney get nominated oh, yeah. for acting oh, awards. Oh, they're absolutely going to be but there. Janney's a lot. And she might even win, right? Yeah. yeah and and uh, But, I, I mean, Margot Robbie is in a pretty crowded field this year. Frances yeah. McDormand from Three Billboards, which I know you saw. I think she's going to win. You know, she, she'll probably win. Yeah. She won the Golden Globe. Uh, but, I mean, Alison Janney won the Golden Globe th- a few weeks ago, right? Yeah, so, I think Janney is, would be probably so far from what I've seen. Like, yeah. I haven't got around to everything yet, but she is right now my favorite. And I just thought she was so... Like, if you go back and you look at videos of that, of Tanya Harding's mother, she just nailed that part. And yeah. I just thought she was so hateable and so <laughs> good at that. Like, I, I usually say that too, is I, I can kind of tell how much I like a performance if someone is a villain if just my level of just complete hatred towards them. And I hated her by the end of that movie. I was like, how could you be such a terrible mother? <laughs> it's like, that's Alison J. Just relax. Like, she's like, uh, yeah, Lavana. But- it was, yeah, it was a it was a really great performance from her. She, uh, you, the part where in the movie where she comes in with the tape recorder in her pocket and you almost feel like yeah. maybe there's going to be some reconciliation yeah. there and then she gets like not pushed out in front of the crowd of reporters. That was a really uh, interesting part of the movie. Yeah, I that was a really good scene. I, like, man, I was, I, like I said, it was a solid, solid movie. Like I would, I don't know how high the rewatch factor would be for me. That's like I thing, don't think yeah. it would be like a rewatchable movie. But so far, nothing really in this class so far this year would be like a big one for me. Like I, I think you and I talked about this the other day, but yeah. I really enjoyed Big Sick. I'd watch that again. Sure, yeah, yeah. But there's not a whole lot I've seen so far where I'm like, I would be, like, really interested in watching this. Yeah, year. this year is one of those odd years. I mean, the Oscars often are really kind of indie movies, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of these times, you know, people go to the Oscars, and if you never watch movies all year and you tune, you like to watch the celebrity factor of these kind of award shows, and you sit down and watch the Oscars, a lot of people will 
like the average American or average North American or a person in the world who watches movies probably will not have yeah. heard of the majority of these films. How many people want right? to plunk down, you know, uh, like eighty dollars to go on a date night to go see Phantom Thread? Yeah, exactly. Like I want, I want to see that movie, but yeah. how many, how many other people other than us will go see that? Probably yeah. not a lot of people. To be, to be yeah, honest, no. I, I wonder what the box office does for for that flick. But I, I just, you know what? The other thing about this this film was. I just felt like it lived up to my expectations. Like I saw the cast, I was like, like the the headliners, anyways, and I was under the impression that there was going to be good performances. Yeah, I wasn't let down. I thought the script was solid. I thought the pacing was solid. I thought it was an entertaining movie, like start to finish. That there weren't really a lot of lulls. But yeah, you could nitpick about historical inaccuracies and also about you know her becoming like a an unpopular figure like that, becoming a little bit more of an antihero and having this this bit of a change where now she is, there's a redemption for her and that now we understand her better. But I just, yeah, I just, it, it really lived up to my expectations. And I found that a, a few of the other films from this year really didn't. Right. And I feel like that's almost how I've been judging them is like when I'm looking at something like, did this surpass my expectations or did this meet them? And that was one of the movies this year where it was what I thought I was signing up for. And I got the little bit of surprise, not knowing it and going in dark but that when it was over, I was just satisfied. I was like, oh, good film. Like, good film. Okay. Didn't, didn't trail, drag on or anything. Just good movie. All right. Well, I, my last question for you then, JD, which is uh, you, you kind of set it up perfectly there, was uh, where is I, Tanya, in terms of the movies you've seen this year, where does it stack up in terms of mm. maybe, I mean, however criteria you want, entertainment value or, you know, bang for your buck at the movie theater or whatever? I don't know if it's a... I, like, I wouldn't say I need to see this movie in a theater. Right. But you know what I would say that it really racks, like, stacks up with me was Logan Lucky. Okay. Like, th- these two movies were very similar. That, yeah, like, yeah. I got what I came for, and the pacing was good, and the soundtrack was good, and there were really good action scenes. There was some good, there were some light scenes. There was some serious stuff. But ultimately, just at the end of the movie, I was like, oh, okay, like, good, money's worth. Like, that was a solid Solid B movie, like uh, a good one, like one I'm glad I saw, but not one where I'm like dying to see it again, or I thought that that was incredible, like some good performances. So I'll remember this movie though, like, and I think that's a, that's a good, that's, that's good for this film. Like, I think that if you look back on the class in like five years from now and you say, all right, what were the movies that year? I think there's a good chance that it'll be one of the top 10 movies that you remember and like something else might fall away from that like i didn't think that three billboards like that really disappointed me right like i just i again thought it was strong performances but there were moments where i was like this is dragging like this doesn't make sense like this isn't what i'm not a big fan of this this is over the top like there was just too many moments where i felt that way and like i didn't have that really with this movie it wasn't amazing it didn't blow my socks off but yeah it's a good one like i said logan lucky it kind of stacks up in that category of things cool well jd thank you for taking the time to Come, come meet me, come meet with me in the studio, and uh, maybe you'll come on again after the Oscars. Uh, maybe I will. I was going to say one last thing. Okay, sure. Tough to find child actors that are good. Yes. And I thought the girl that yeah. played young Tanya was excellent as well. Have you ever seen The Walking Dead? She was in. She was in The Walking Dead a few for for like maybe half a season. Really? Or, yeah, yeah. I don't remember her from that show, uh, but I kind of like. I, I kind of gave up on the Walking. Yeah, it kind of all blends together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like I was like, all right, I, I get the gist of this. Like, so like, yeah, zombies, zombies. Like, no, they're now we're safe. Oh, we need supplies. Oh, we lost someone important. All right, season three. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it was fun, man. I'll do it anytime. Awesome. Thanks, JD. Beauty. That's it for reviews tonight. Thanks again to J.D. Bunkus for coming on the show. Pretty cool of him to give up his time after work like that. Pretty awesome of him. Like I mentioned off the top, we're going to be focusing more on the movies that are likely going to garner some nominations at the Academy Awards this year, so 
Stay tuned for reviews of things like Lady Bird, The Florida Project, Call Me By Your Name, Phantom Thread, The Greatest Hour, All the Money in the World. And that's not to mention things like A Wrinkle in Time and Black Panther coming out soon as well. So all of those movies will be getting reviews on the podcast at some point. I might have to move to three movies an episode until the Oscars. Might, might be a little ambitious, but we'll see. But for now, thank you for listening. As always, this has been episode 15 of the newly rebranded Showtime Movie Podcast. Good night. Oh, 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 oh,